I have a meanness inside me, real as an organ. Slit me at my belly and it might slide out, meaty and dark, drop on the floor so you could stomp on it. Gillian Flynn, Dark Places. Welcome to Books in the Freezer, a podcast focusing on the deliciously disturbing world of horror fiction. I'm one of your hosts, Stephanie. And I'm your other host, Rachel. Well, you asked and we answered. Today we are taking a break from our usual format to bring you a good old question and answer session. We're talking about the scariest books we've ever read, our favorite horror movies, and pulling back the curtain on our podcast setup on this episode of Books in the Freezer. So we put out a call on Twitter and Instagram asking for questions for this Q&A episode and you all definitely delivered. We're going to try to keep it a little more casual and just have it be a bit of a conversation, hopefully give you a chance to get to know us a little bit better and we'll just kind of jump in. I think we want to start with some of the questions related to horror. So Stephanie, do you want to read the first one? Sure. So Mitch Meredith asked, do you ever feel the least bit awkward when people ask what your favorite genre is and you have to explain that it's horror? I feel that people silently judge me and think, what's wrong with this guy? My classroom library is full of horror and I get some raised eyebrows from kids slash adults when they peruse my collection. Note, I teach high school. I totally get that judgment from people. I would say especially with bookish people, I think the judgment comes more from not being maybe like a real reader when you're more of a genre reader and like the stuff you have doesn't have as much prestige or literary merit or that it doesn't have the same depth which I think is bullcrap obviously what about you Rach for me I definitely feel judged and it's kind of for different reasons like I know what you mean with the genre readers but even more so I get judged probably by the non-readers in my life just because they don't really understand why I enjoy and get entertained by all this dark and violent material. They're like, how can you enjoy those kind of things? And I do have a lot of really conservative people in my close life that generally think it's really bad to consume content that isn't good. There's layers of like good old Catholic guilt that's built into my shame of loving horror. But thankfully, as I've gotten older, and my family's always supportive, you know, if it makes Rachel happy, then it's all good. So I think it's lessened over the last year. And the podcast has actually been a really good thing because I think they've seen that I've taken my love of all things dark and creepy and made something out of it. It's something I deal with for sure, though. So I, I feel you, Mitch. My parents are totally the same way. They're like, why do you like this stuff? I don't understand. I know. It's just simply what I enjoy. So whenever someone asks for the synopsis of the book I'm reading, I'm always really embarrassed to tell them because it's usually a, well, there was a serial killer and he had a knife and et cetera, et cetera. <laughs> and they're like, and you're reading this. Why? Especially since you seem so quiet and like sweet, I'm sure. Yeah. And I'd say the same thing about you. You don't put out that persona of necessarily having such a dark side to you i mean you're a mom i wear a lot of cardigans yeah I get it. exactly <laughs> okay so mitch meredith also asked 
Do you feel that public libraries are hesitant to buy horror-themed books for their patrons? I have to put in purchase requests for almost all the new horror releases. Luckily, they oblige almost all my requests. Otherwise, I seriously don't think they'd carry them. I'm pretty lucky in that I live in a big city. I live in Pittsburgh, so I'm lucky to be a part of one of the larger library systems in the country. Like, I'm part of the Carnegie Library. So I don't seem to have a problem with that too often. Usually when I want something, I'll put a hold on it and there's already copies being ordered. Like I'm very fortunate that way. Where I find that I have more trouble is with older stuff. Like, I was looking for The Elementals by Michael McDowell you know, there was like a time where it just popped up everywhere. And my library had no copies of it, nothing, not a physical copy, not a digital copy, not anything. And I'm like, how? How is this possible? (laughs) Like I was a little like miffed. Yeah, I've run into that too. I find libraries really start to call their older selections. And I literally had it where I was looking for a book by Bentley Little, another horror author. And I found out that my library had given away their copy of the book I wanted to read less than a week before I went looking for it. So it was still in their system. I could see it listed on the shelf at my little local library. And I spent a good like 20 minutes combing the shelf. I got the librarian to help me. And finally, they're like, oh, yeah, no one reads that stuff. So we just got rid of it. I was like, what? What? They're like, me, I read it. Exactly. So I almost feel pressure to check out every single horror book in my library, whether or not I'm going to read it, just to show them that someone is reading them before they give away the other 10 that are still in there. There's so little horror in my library. And I'm the same way. I've been super lucky to have an amazing library system that I can access. I can get books from anywhere in the province, which helps because my local library, like I said, honestly has about 10 horror books on the shelf. And I don't know about you, but of those 10 horror books, I think about eight of them are Stephen King. So not a lot of variety of authors. Yeah, I find like where there's not a lot of choice to choose from is when I look on Overdrive and all the audiobooks there are basically Stephen King or like older stuff like Frankenstein and Dracula. It's a lot harder for me to find horror audiobooks. So when I see a new one on there, like I get on that right away. Oh, I've noticed that too, that there just isn't the same selection of what they seem to order. And kind of going back to Mitch's first question, because he talked about being judged. When you're talking libraries, I noticed that I got a little bit judged when I moved. I used to live in a larger center where they had those self-checkouts. I love that because I would take my big stack of stabby books with terrifying (laughs) covers. I would go there. I wouldn't have to talk to anyone. We've talked about what an introvert I am. And I would check them all out. No one would be the wiser and walk out of the library. Loved it. And then I moved to a small town and now I have a librarian who knows me by name. It's a wonderful experience, except I'm pretty sure they judge me. I've definitely gotten some looks when I pulled my books from the request shelf because it's behind their desk. They have to go through them all and they always make comments. They're always like, oh, this book looks interesting. And you can just (laughs) tell they're judging me and because I'm always picking out something for the podcast. So there's always like a knife and blood and someone who's half possessed or a zombie on the cover of most of my books. And I wish librarians didn't comment so much. If you have nothing good to say, don't say anything at all. So going back to his first question, do I feel judged? Yes, mostly by my small town librarians. I think that's just Canadian friendliness because my librarians don't talk to me. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> they, they'll they talk to my son, so I'm sure they probably think I'm a weirdo with my toddler there with my stack of bloody possession books. <laughs> <laughs> 
So then Kara Middleton asked, what is the scariest book you have ever read? I knew this question was going to come up as soon as we decided to do a Q&A <laughs> episode. So what is your answer, Stephanie? I don't get creeped out too much. I remember I read Pen Pal by Dathan Auerbach, which I mean, I don't think was an exceptional book by any means, but the content of the story really unnerved me to the point that I had to have a coworker walk me to my car after work for a week. That's intense. <laughs> I was too freaked out. I was like, can you just just walk me to my car? Just, just make sure I get in. Okay. And that there's no one hiding in my back seat. Okay. Thank you. Yeah. No, that's fair. <laughs> what about you? For me, if I'm honest, the scariest story I have read in terms of horror goes back to that short story I talked about in our favorites episode, and that was Deep Into the Skin by Matthew M. Barlett, which was found in the Tales from a Talking Board anthology, which I know you have a copy of now, so you can check it out and tell me if I'm out to lunch or if that's not the scariest thing ever. <laughs> and just briefly, if you're not aware, that's that story about a man who works as a tattoo artist and he gets involved in like a cult ritual. There is so much body horror in it, which definitely is something that works really well for me. And it literally got like under my skin. Like I had such a physical reaction reading it and I reread it and still had goosebumps. So for me, that speaks a lot to the intensity of the story. And just for me, it really worked well, but that's only a short story. So if you're looking for a full-length novel, I'd actually say Dark Places by Gillian Flynn, which is why we picked it as the quote at the beginning of the episode. But there's a particular scene that disturbed me so much when I read it, I put the book down and really contemplated not finishing it. No way. You might be able to guess. I'm thinking. <laughs> Your brain's probably going to all the dark and messed up places in that book. But as I said, I love Gillian Flynn. So the fact is that I almost thought this is too much for me. I just felt so uncomfortable reading it and just like sick to my stomach over it. So maybe it's more disturbed than outright scared, but that's probably the best answer I can give at the moment. I'm sure if we come back to this question maybe a year later, because we're reading tons of horror these days. I'd love to see if it'd still be the same or if I'd have a new answer. But for now, I'm saying Dark Places. So then she also asked, for you, what makes the perfect horror novel? What are your personal, quote, things you look for? So for me, the writing needs to suck me in immediately. And then as an emotional reader, like I've talked about before, I have to feel the intensity of the story. I have to feel that there are stakes. I'm also okay with a slower story if I feel that there's stuff being said or explored and I absolutely live for the gut punch moment in a story just where you think everything's going one way and then the author just pulls the rug out from under you and just leaves you devastated. And I'm like, I don't know why I enjoy that so much. For me, I love horror with a psychological angle, and I think that comes from my love of psychological thrillers, so I adore any book that has that crossover appeal. And for similar reasons, I really enjoy possession stories. I've talked about before, it's probably my favorite subgenre at the moment, just because so much of those books play with the idea of, is something going on in their head? Is it a mental illness? Or... Are they out of control of their body? And it ties in a lot of times with an unreliable narrator, which is one of my favorite things in books. I think you enjoy those a lot too, right? Yeah, I do. And then in terms of horror content, you've heard it before, I love body horror. So things that involve sewn skin or peeling skin, skin in general, something about skin. <laughs> 
I just really have a strong reaction to. And I think it comes from the fact that I really like horror that can make me feel something. And it tends to be that physical reaction that to me makes something scary because I have a really high tolerance for reading disturbing things. But when I start to just feel sick to my stomach, then I don't know, I just connect on other levels. So those are kind of my go-to things. And since we're talking about our personal reading preferences, I think it's a perfect time to give a call out to our listeners that if anyone can think of any books that kind of fit either mine or Steph's go-to picks, I would love to hear your guys' recommendations on some other books we should check out and say, well, if you like body horror, read this. Or, you know, if you have a good gut punch book for Stephanie, because apparently she just needs more gut punching in her life. So (laughs) do let us know. Breeze Memoirs asked, if you could get one horror character to have their own graphic novel series, which character would it be? This is a really interesting question. I would be really interested in getting a backstory for Charlie Banks from Nosferatu or the history of the Black Witch from Hex. Those are good picks. For me, I wasn't thinking of a particular character from a book, but more general horror monster. And I want to go with the Slenderman because I was thinking how amazing it would be to have a graphic novel of the Slenderman. I actually can't believe it hasn't been done and maybe it has and I just don't know about it, but I just find him so tall and creepy and quiet. I think that would be really good with some artwork. So I'd love to see that. That'd be really interesting. Next, Patrick Malka asked, listening to you both discuss Dracula, I realized that I had a blind spot in my horror knowledge. I think I read pretty widely in the genre, but I never read Dracula. Do either of you have important works of horror you know you should read by now? I would say the older stuff in the genre. So things by like Robert McCammon and John Saul and Michael McDowell, because I was never able to find a copy at my library. So stuff from like the 80s and before. Yeah, I was thinking the same thing. Honestly, I have a lot of backlist horror reading to do in order to be a proper, well-read, well-rounded horror reader. But the big one that came to mind is Lovecraft. I've never read anything by him. And a lot of different books, in particular book reviews, will often reference and say, well, this is Lovecraftian horror. This is, you know, tying back to that. And I actually had to kind of Google and look up on Wikipedia what that even meant, which typically I understand means kind of a cosmic angle to it. But considering everyone refers to it and every, you know, new horror book is in some way compared to those classics, I really need to go back and like actually read it for myself. So that's a huge blind spot for me because everyone's like, oh, is this Lovecraftian? And I you know, you need to read Lovecraft in order to make that comparison. Uh, I've made that comparison and I haven't read any Lovecraft. Yeah, I've made it too. <laughs> I'm like, this book is so Lovecraftian. And by that, I mean, there's something with tentacles in it. <laughs> so yeah, also same here. I do need to read more Lovecraft. The shame. Holly347 asked, do you have any creepy horror middle grade books that you liked as children? Holly read Behind the Attic Wall as a child, which probably introduced her to this genre. I'm glad you have an answer because I don't. Unless you consider the Babysitter's Club creepy because I read a lot of those and I don't think that counts. (laughs) We've talked about it on previous episodes, but I loved reading Goosebumps as a kid and Christopher Pike books. But I also really loved pulpy stuff. Like, I don't know if you ever read Caroline B. Cooney's The Face on the Milk Carton. 
I think I have. That's the one where the girl sees her face on a milk carton, isn't it? And then starts to wonder if she's... It says she's been missing for years and if she was abducted when she was a baby and it's like a whole thing. I forgot about that. Okay, those <laughs> I love. So there we go. I was taking Stephanie's answer. That's my answer too. Because those books were really good at the time. I was so into it. <laughs> Erica Robin asked, what are your other favorite genres to read? So I love literary fiction and then branching off of that like subgenres of that. I love coming of age stories, family sagas. I love mysteries and nonfiction books about dark or interesting topics. I was going to say nonfiction books about death because I love like <laughs> smoke gets in your eyes and stiff and working stiff, like all the stuff about working on cadavers and body farms and all that. <laughs> <laughs> it's like your personal subgenre, just death. I'm really just into non death. Nonfiction books about death. Yeah, you'll just go to your library and be like, can I see your death section, please? For me, I always describe myself as a genre reader. I don't read a lot of literary fiction, so I have a lot of respect for your ability to really get into those kind of books and properly appreciate them. And I don't read tons of nonfiction either, as you probably were able to guess when we did our nonfiction episode. I read a little bit of true crime, but for the most part, I lean towards, of course, horror, but then psychological thrillers, mysteries. And I'm a really big science fiction reader just because I'm a big nerd, as I've kind of talked about before. So I really do enjoy like space opera, things like that. And you didn't list it under your answer, but We've been talking lately and you've been kind of getting into science fiction too, which makes me super excited because I would love to talk to you about all these other science fiction books. And I keep joking that we need to start a second podcast. A friend of the show, Laura, called me out. She's like, I don't know why you say you don't like science fiction. You absolutely like science fiction. Yeah. I had a moment of clarity where I was like, you're right. I don't even know who I am anymore. Laura's right. You just got to <laughs> own it. You're like, I don't like it, but I like all these science fiction books. I think I like science fiction. Admitting it is the first step, right? Coming to terms with it. <laughs> Eric Robin also asked, what are your top thriller and suspense reads? Technically, she also asked about our top horror reads, but I feel like we talk about our favorites so often in the episodes that I think we wanted to focus more on the thrillers and suspense side of this question. Yeah, for sure. So basically anything by Gillian Flynn, of course. So Gone Girl, I would say is probably one of my favorites by her. That was the first book I read by her. I was curious what was your favorite. It's like that or Sharp Objects. I also really loved Final Girls by Riley Sager. Night Film we've talked about a bit. I enjoyed that. Broken Monsters was a really good like horror thriller. And recently The Dry by Jane Harper. And also Broken Harbor by Tana French. So for me, all of Gillian Flynn's books, but a special nod to Dark Places. You all know I love, I'm thinking of Ending Things by Ian Reid. We've talked about that one so much. I mentioned Perfect Days by Raphael Montez. And for me, I also love Tana French's Mysteries. My favorite though would probably be In the Woods, which is a book that you either really like or you're really unsatisfied by it. But I tend to enjoy those unsatisfying books more than most people's. I loved In the Woods, too. I'd say a lot of my favorite books actually tend to be very polarizing. If I look at my favorites, I tend to pick out a lot of books that aren't even necessarily favorites across the board. I tend to have really unpopular opinions, like things like I'm thinking of ending things. Until I picked it up and read it, 
I didn't have a single Goodreads friend who had rated above, I think, two stars. Like everyone was like, what is this crappy book? And then I read it and I was like, this is amazing. And thankfully, <laughs> everyone who's read it based off of my recommendation, for the most part, has really liked it too. Sarai Talks Books asked, what books have you read that took you completely by surprise? Oh, well, I just kind of answered that. <laughs> Talking about the science fiction thing, I listened to Sleeping Giants on audio by Sylvain Nouvel, and I fell in love with it. If you would have told me last year that one of my favorite books would have been about trying to put together this alien robot and other alien robots coming down and political consequences of those things, I would have thought you were insane. But I absolutely fell in love with it. The audiobook was amazing, I've talked about. The story is all dialogue. So it's kind of just a bunch of transcripts of what people say. So the audiobook is just actors delivering that dialogue. And it was so well produced and so well acted. And I just finished the sequel, Waking Gods. And I just felt like I finished season two of a series that I love. Like I'm just so into this series. Oh, that's such a good feeling when you're just so immersed in a world. I kind of had the same experience, but with fantasy. So I consider myself not a fantasy reader. I love science fiction, but I always say that I'm not into fantasy. And then over the break, I ended up reading the first book, Mistborn, The Final Empire by Brandon Sanderson, and became obsessed, which was really bad for the podcast because I was supposed to do a bunch of horror reading. And all <laughs> I wanted to do was read Mistborn and read about their magic system. And it's kind of a YA crossover book which normally isn't my thing but I just got lost in the world and I literally was messaging everyone saying like who am I this was not a book I was supposed to love that much but I was obsessed and then I talked about before I'm thinking of ending things by Ian Reid was another one that surprised me just because it had such low ratings but for some reason I decided to ignore all that and just pick it up for myself next Mitch Meredith also asked how do readers get arcs do you want to take this one Sure. And if you don't know, ARCs are advanced reader copies. So that's when you see people holding up books that haven't been published yet that is receiving an advanced reader copy from the publisher. And basically, you have to have some kind of a platform where you talk about books. I think some people like have a lot of followers on Goodreads or Instagram or have a blog or a YouTube channel, but you need to have some kind of outlet and some kind of an audience. And basically, you email the publisher and, you know, let them know about your platform, leave links to your YouTube channel or your blog or whatever, and ask them for a copy. I would say most of the time, I don't get a response. And then sometimes the book shows up on your front door. And sometimes it's just a no when you don't receive anything. That's kind of been my experience with it. I think Rachel does this a little more than I do, though. So she might have more experience with that. Yeah, I request probably not as much as a lot of other book reviewers, but I do some for sure. And I get the same thing where either you get a book on your doorstep or nothing happens. And you kind of just pitch yourself. You basically say, hey, I'm Rachel. I read stabby books. I have a YouTube channel and this little podcast where we talk horror books. I think I'd really like this. Here's some reviews I've done. And you just basically wait and see. And I'll be honest, even as my channel has grown on YouTube, I still get plenty of no's, so it's something that is just very hit or miss, depends on the publisher, depends on who you're talking to, all of that. So I think if you have a platform where you do some sort of book reviewing and you feel you have an audience for it, you know, you can always reach out and the worst you'll ever get is a no. 
Yeah, definitely. Now, moving on to horror and TV and movie questions. Hey, Little Thrifter asked, are there any horror book to film adaptations that you really liked or hated? Yes. (laughs) One that I thought was better than the book, I'll start out with that, was 30 Days of Night with Josh Hartnett. I thought the movie did an amazing job of really capturing the aesthetic of the graphic novel. And one of the reasons I didn't love the graphic novel was that the art was really hard to look at and to really decipher what was going on in the panels. I didn't like the dialogue and the pacing and it had unnecessary storylines that I didn't like. And the movie cut out the unnecessary storyline and I think it kind of fixed the pacing a little more, but I was very impressed. If you look at the movie and you see how the vampires look and you look at the graphic novel and you just look at how the vampires look in the graphic novel, the similarities are like creepy. One that I revisited that I don't think has aged as well is the 2005 Amityville horror. So I saw this when I was a teenager, and unfortunately, I let my feelings for Ryan Reynolds dictate what I thought about it at the time. (laughs) We've all been there. I also rewatched it after I had read the book, and I just realized there was a lot of added cliches and unnecessary jump scares, and I don't understand the casting of Ryan Reynolds because he's kind of the villain, and so we're like not sure how we feel about him. But then there's also a scene where he's like shirtless in the rain and like angry. And I'm like, I'm having a lot of feelings right now. And I don't I don't understand what I'm supposed to feel. You know, it's shirtless Ryan Reynolds. I'm feeling things. What about you? My pick for favorite adaptation is one you all probably already know. I love the movie It, the new 2017 release. I've talked about it so much on the podcast. I feel like I don't need to share my thoughts again. But as for horror adaptations that I didn't like or hated, it's kind of a strong word, but I'm going with Gerald's Game by Stephen King. And this is kind of a cheat because I haven't actually read the book, but I was really excited when it came to Netflix. It had really good early reviews, but I really didn't like the story. And I think some of it's just the fact that it wasn't the story I expected. I thought it was more of a realistic horror and I didn't expect to have such a supernatural feel to it. So I watched it, but it wasn't my favorite. So then Hey Little Thrifter asked, any books you would love to see adapted? Yes, I think My Best Friend's Exorcism by Grady Hendrix needs an adaptation. I think this is prime time to cash in on that retro 80s thing that we have going on. Also, this is a story about female friendship. And I think there's some genuinely creepy moments in there. Like I think this would be a great movie or miniseries. I mean, fine with either. I think that is so smart. For me, I thought of Broken Monsters by Lauren Bucus, just because I've always thought that that book has a similar vibe to True Detective. So same idea, writing off the coattails of that, I think it would just be a no-brainer. And it's kind of that detective story, but that bit of a supernatural twist and dark and creepy. I would love to see Netflix cover it. It always reminded me of that short-lived TV series, Hannibal, just because it was so gruesome. So if we could get the guy that did Hannibal, I know he's doing American Gods, but I would love him to help with that too. Erica Robin asked, what was the first horror movie slash book you watched slash read? I don't remember a book. I will say the first horror movie I watched was Nightmare on Elm Street 4 at my cousin's house. And I was very young. I had a really irrational fear of waterbeds for a long time because there's a kill scene where there's like a teenage boy on his bed and there's like a naked mermaid. She kills him and traps him inside the waterbed. And 
I just always was worried that there was someone inside the waterbed who was trying to kill me. This was also at a time and place where people still had waterbeds. <laughs> Which is terrifying in its own right. Yeah. How old would you have been? Any guess? Like five or six. Oh, like you were young then. Yeah. <laughs> you poor child. Thinking back to movies, the first one I can remember watching was actually pretty late in high school. I lived a sheltered life until then, apparently. But I watched House of Wax, the 2005 film. And yes, that's the one with Paris Hilton. And it was really bad. It was bad. At least her acting was bad. Have you seen that one? No, I haven't. Good, don't. It's bad (laughs) because Paris Hilton is in it. So that was probably not the best place to start and arguably is probably part of the reason I don't watch tons of horror movies or haven't in the past is I started in a very bad place. It did have some really good body horror moments though because I do remember there was a lot of skin peeling happening. So those parts were pretty intense. As for books, I'm kind of in the same boat. I have no idea where I started. And then Erica Robin also asked, what are your favorite horror movies? So my picks are some pretty obvious ones. I love, again, It, the 2017 version. I love Scream, the original. And I also love Pan's Labyrinth, which, yes, could be dark fantasy, but I'm calling it horror-ish because I just love Del Toro. I want to watch everything he has put out. So those are my picks. How about you? Mine, I would say my fave is The Descent. I feel like I talk about that all the time. And it follows The Shining, American Psycho, which also had a lot of conflicting things because Christian Bale's really hot and he does crunches in his underwear. So (laughs) (laughs) he was my celebrity crush, like all of my adolescence. Also Nightmare on Elm Street, the original and Cabin in the Woods. And then Sarai Talks Books asked, is there a horror movie or TV show that you can watch over and over again? Two that are annual watches for me are the original Nightmare on Elm Street, and I love Rosemary's Baby. Really? Yes, I watch that every year. (laughs) That's intense. For me, it's definitely Stranger Things is my go-to to to just rewatch. I just love the characters, the monsters. It's it's just ticks every Rachel box, so that's one I can just rewatch over and over again. I hope they make more seasons. And one that's not really horror, but I wanted to mention Ghostbusters because... My husband, I mentioned, isn't a big horror fan, but that's one that we watch together every Halloween. That's a good one. That's a cute tradition. I like it. It's the closest I can get him to watch horror. (laughs) I always have to kind of sneak it in and, you know, hope that he doesn't realize that it's kind of creepy-ish. We we compromise a lot. (laughs) Sarai Talks Books also asked, what is a popular horror TV show slash movie that you hated? So show, I would say, any recent season of American Horror Story because I gave up after season two. It just, it got so convoluted and I just didn't like it. I gave up Supernatural after season two because I'm a big fan of the Monster of the Week setup and then they just brought in all these extra plot things that I wasn't big on. And I'm sorry, I feel like a lot of our listeners are probably big Supernatural fans. So I'm sorry, it just wasn't my thing. And movies, I couldn't even finish House of a Thousand Corpses by Rob Zombie. I did not like it. I thought it was ridiculous over the top and just I I hated it. I hated it so much. Yeah, for me, I just tend to stop watching horror movies or any movie really fast if I'm not enjoying it, like within five or 10 minutes. So the only one I could think of I already talked about, but that was Gerald's Game, which wasn't my favorite, even though I know everyone else loves it. So it's clearly it's me, not the movie. 
And then Sarai Talks Books also asked favorite TV slash movie adaptations. And for this one, I think we both decided not to restrict ourselves to just horror adaptations, but just talk about some of our favorite movies and shows. What were your picks? Ones that I think really captured the feel of the story really well. I loved The Virgin Suicides. The book was by Jeffrey Eugenides. And I thought the movie with Kirsten Dunst and Josh Hartnett just really captured the kind of voyeuristic malaise of the book. I don't know. I really, really loved it. Practical Magic is also like a movie I will watch every time I find it on a streaming service because it's just such a feel-good movie. Same with Fried Green Tomatoes. That's another one. And Gone Girl, I think, did a really good job of getting the tone right. Uh, Gillian Flynn wrote the script. So it was very faithful to the story and had the same eeriness. And I just really liked it. In terms of TV shows, I really enjoy Game of Thrones. I think they did a great job adapting the books, which I have read all five of them. It's one of those few fantasy books that I have read. And just no surprise, they're super dark and disturbing. And in terms of movies, one of my favorite adaptations is actually Jurassic Park. I've read the book and I just love it. And to be clear, I mean the first movie and not the sequels and not Jurassic World. But I have a big thing for dinosaurs. Like I really, really like dinosaurs, especially raptors. I have dragged my husband to every dinosaur museum in Canada that I can get into. (laughs) That's so awesome. Game of Thrones is the one show that my husband and I watch together and we're like really into. Yeah, we're the same way. Everything stops when a new episode comes out. Now we have a few other random questions. So Erica Robin asked, what are our other hobbies outside of reading slash podcasting slash YouTubing? And nothing makes me feel more boring than when people ask me this. (laughs) (laughs) You just said we can't include like our main hobbies. Exactly. I love traveling. I don't get to do it that often because it costs money and you have to get time off work, but I really enjoy it. My husband and I got to go to Germany and Prague last year and it was so fun. And then we have another upcoming trip planned. And then I have a weird thing with decluttering. I love just throwing stuff away. I find it very therapeutic to just like go through a junk drawer and just throw everything out. I mean, I don't do it often enough because I still have junk drawers. But when I finally get myself to do it, I'm like, you know what, this is fun. (laughs) (laughs) I know, I'm literally the most boring person in the world. There you go. (laughs) What about you? Yeah, outside of reading, that's really hard. But I'd say I'm a big nerd, like I mentioned. So I actually play Dungeons and Dragons. We have a group of friends that have been playing for the last about six or seven years. My husband is our dungeon master and we go on little quests. And if anyone's interested, my main character is this elven archer that has an imaginary raptor pet. And as you can tell, we don't take it too seriously. It's just basically an excuse to get together as a group of friends and have some drinks. Otherwise, I really enjoy bargain hunting. I love going to thrift shops or garage sales and finding really good deals on cheap things. Of course, my favorite thing to go thrift shopping for is used books, but I guess it doesn't count, Erica. So I'll say that I also look for other cheap and unusual things. That's a good one. I love thrift store shopping too. So that's one of mine too. (laughs) It's so fun. Yeah, it feels like an adventure. Yeah, you just never know what you're going to find. And then Laura Little Pony asked, do you have any pets? I have two pets. Charlotte is my cat. She is four years old and I love her. Remy is our brand new beagle puppy. She is very hyper, loves to antagonize Charlotte and my son. And I love her, but she gets on my nerves sometimes. I'm not going to lie. I'm a cat person. 
she's super snuggly and cuddly and she's so loving. But I think like having a toddler and a puppy is such a drain. I'm like, please get away from me. And I think cats know better. Like Charlotte kind of leaves me alone and kind of snuggles with me when I'm like in my comfy chair with my blanket and reading. Like she knows like, oh, okay, like we can hang out now. Whereas Remy's like, hey, hey, hey. Hey, what are you doing? What's up? What's going on? Hi. And I'm like, I can't. I literally can't. I have a toddler. Like, I don't I don't have this energy right now. <laughs> I honestly don't know how you do it. I remember when you told me that you got a new puppy. I was almost scared for you because we actually got a puppy. We had one for a week. We gave it back to the breeder because my husband and I could not handle it. It cried all night and was just, we didn't have the time for it. It was so bad. Yeah, some people just aren't dog people. Instead, what we do have is a hedgehog, which I'm obsessed with. His name is Kimmy, and he's very grumpy, and he sleeps all day. But he's pretty much the perfect pet because he is super low maintenance. And just like your cat is, like, he's my little reading buddy. I just curl up with him on the couch or in bed. And he just sleeps while I read because that's basically all he does, which is just about all I can handle right now. I don't think I have the energy for a puppy. So I do not know how you do that with a toddler. And then Natalie asked, who is your favorite character from The Office? I'm so glad you asked. My favorite character is actually Oscar. I just think he is so awesome. And he is just not a stereotype. You know, I feel like if you have a gay Mexican character, you know, he doesn't, he's not the janitor that comes in and cleans their toilets. He is not like sassy he doesn't like snap his fingers when he talks like I just feel like they could have really gone over the top with his character and his character is just like a real dude who is an accountant and just wants to do his job and has his own interests and I just love that they made him like a three-dimensional character also I just love that when he says things he has so many lines that are throwaway lines but that are just like total clapbacks that just go over everyone's heads and like no one reacts to them and I think they are just genius Yeah, I feel like he's one of the more underappreciated ones, but I love him. He's great. One of my favorite ones is I think Pam is talking about how she went to this haunted house and Oscar says, huh, I always wondered what kind of people went to those. But just the way he says it, like uninterested, even though it's totally an insult. Oh, I know. The number of times you find out that he's actually like insulting everyone and no one even like catches on. Yeah, he's so good. (laughs) He's my favorite. Mine's maybe more of a classic pick, but I love Dwight. I just think he is so over the top and hilarious. And just every scene with him is fantastic. But I do want to give a special nod to Toby because I'm a human resource major in college. And so everyone always watches the show and says, oh, you're Toby. You're the Toby of the world. No. I know. And Toby's he's the, the worst. worst. I always have this like kindred spirit because I feel his pain of the boringness of human resources, which is why I don't work in it. I have the degree, but I haven't worked a day in my life as a human resource person because I'd be Toby. (laughs) That's funny. Dwight is the best. And then one of our patrons, Liz, asked, are your family readers? And if so, what do they read? So my husband does read, but he reads almost exclusively nonfiction, especially about economics, finance, and history. Obviously, we have a lot of overlap. That's tough. (laughs) 
My husband is not really a reader. Once a year, he'll let me pick out a book for him to read. One year, he read Ready Player One. One year, he read The Hobbit. One year, he read The Martian. Tends to like fantasy and science fiction. And he hasn't read a book yet this year, so I have to give some thought as to what's that one book I'm going to make him read. So stay tuned for that. I'm not sure yet. She also asked, what's the most unique job you've ever had? In between summers from college, I worked for a photographer. And so I would come home and every weekend for like the start of the summer, right when I got home, I would be at a different prom. And I worked with the couples as a poser. So I would be like, you know, put your arm here, you know, chin up, look at the camera. And I would be like there with the props and (laughs) helping them all get ready. And then a few weeks later, it would be graduation season. So I would be at a different high school graduation every weekend. That was a pretty fun job. I actually really enjoyed that. And then I worked different shifts in the studio, like doing the printing and the cutting and like working in the mailroom and stuff. So that, that was an interesting experience. That's a good one. I worked as a light and sound technician. I was in charge of basically running all the lights and the microphones for all these productions. So like these big theater companies would come in or a whole big dance studio that would have this big production. And then I was like this... 15 year old that would like run around and try to like plug in mics (laughs) it was kind of a mess but I definitely think it started my love for the technology that comes around editing software and a lot of the camera work that we do on our YouTube channels things like that I really do enjoy the editing process because I was a big nerd in high school (laughs) I shouldn't admit this so much this episode is one big nerd confession for me this has nothing to do with horror (laughs) I think we're all nerds in our own right though if you really think about it yeah but it's bad. <laughs> it's not bad at all. I think this is the, probably the best time in history to be a nerd. There is so That's much true. nerd love in pop culture. And finally, we wanted to end talking about some podcast-related questions. And Erica Robin asked, what is your podcast setup like? I have a MacBook Pro on a desk in my bedroom, and I just have a mic stand that I plug into it. Pretty simple. For me, I'm usually in my basement on my desktop computer. Same simple setup, but it's actually cool. Today is the first episode we're recording in a new location for me. And that's because I have super cool bosses who are letting me use my office at work after hours to record because it's really hard for us to find times that work for both of our work schedules. They just tend to conflict. It's probably been one of the biggest challenges to having this podcast run was simply finding not only times that work for us, but quiet time. So this is kind of different for me. I'm sitting at my desk, just super cool. My boss just tells me that if we ever get super famous, that they want to take credit for that. So (laughs) we might get some corporate sponsorship if we keep this up. Nice. And in terms of like the setup pass there, just so people who aren't maybe aware of how podcasting works, we do a Skype call and we each record our own audio. And then using editing software, what we do is we take those two files, we put them together and overlap them and it creates a complete conversation. And then of course we do a little bit of snipping just to take out some of the ums and ahs that you normally don't hear in the episode or hopefully don't hear as much. And Stephanie, on the flip side, you do all of the writing. So the show notes and deal with all the social media, which is great because I am not a words person. I hate writing. So it's kind of been a really good split because I, like I mentioned, love the editing piece. I find it just really fun to play with like sound levels and reducing noise, things like that. But writing out lists of books that we've read and show notes and linking to Instagram, things like that. I'm so bad at Instagram. It's really embarrassing, guys. So every time you see something on our social media, 
and it's good, it's because Stephanie did it. I log in too, but you can tell when Stephanie's taking charge. It's so much better. And I do not enjoy editing. And then I feel like my house is so loud with the puppy and my son that like me trying to listen to a file and like keep going over and trying to figure out where to cut or like figure out noise levels is a lot more difficult for me. (laughs) So yeah, it definitely works a lot better that we both do things that we enjoy. It's worked out pretty well. I still don't know how to do an Instagram story. (laughs) You might need to walk me through it one of these days. So when you see Instagram stories on our podcast, it's always Stephanie's. I'm so glad that you know how that works because I don't. And Laura Little Pony asked, has anything weird or awkward happened while recording? I was trying to think on that and maybe not weird, but as I mentioned, we've had lots of awkward moments and they just don't tend to get into the final recordings so we snip a lot of those little awkward bits out but for our patrons we've actually just released our first bloopers episode clip and it's a collection of all the times we mess up and so if you're curious if you want to support us on the podcast you can have some access to that and if i think back i remember the first time we went to record our little pilot episode zero if i remember we were both pretty nervous you know kind of just getting a feel for what it would feel like doing this back and forth and if i remember we got about one minute into recording when your son just like burst into the room like screaming and then we had to start (laughs) over again i was like oh boy that's when i was like all right there's got to be some strategies in place to deal with this laura little pony also asked do you have a dream podcast guest or collaborator oh my gosh i would die if we ever got like paul tremblay or joe hill i'd say like either of those i would just be like I don't know what that sound was. <laughs> <laughs> Same here. And I think we also got to add Grady Hendrix into the mix because I've heard him on several podcasts. He is so smart. He knows so much about horror as a genre. And personally, I would also love to see Christy Demeester on a podcast just because she's one of my favorite horror authors. So that would be one I'd be very excited to see in the future. <laughs> And now, because we already talked about our favorite horror movies and TV shows, we thought we'd end this episode with book recommendations instead. So we're just going to talk about books that we are currently reading. And right now, I'm about a quarter of the way into Kill Creek by Scott Thomas, which was nominated for the Bram Stoker Award for superior achievement in a first novel and I am loving it so much. I'm doing this as a buddy read with Sean over at Eclectic Reads and It's about four different horror authors that, because of a publicity stunt, have to spend a night in the haunted Fitch house that's in Kansas on Halloween. And it's so interesting because we get to know each of the four authors and the reasons why they have agreed to do this and the baggage that they're bringing into this and the stuff that each of them is struggling with and how that projects into how they interact with this house. And there's very good commentary on the horror genre. Like it opens up with one of the author's teaching a class on horror literature and giving this giant speech. And I was like highlighting everything and just like, yes, I love everything here. And it's very interesting to look at the different characters and try to speculate like if they are inspired by any real life horror authors, which is definitely uh, some of the conversations that we've had about it. So I am in love with it so far. That sounds amazing. I've heard nothing but good reviews of that one. So I will be reading that at some point as well. 
And you already know this, but I'm currently listening to the audiobook of A Head Full of Ghosts by Paul Tremblay, which of course is one of your favorites. Mm -hmm. And we just talked about on our last episode about audiobooks, so it's perfect that we follow up with that. And I'm really glad that you told me that it was room temperature because I'm really liking it so far, but it's not scary at all. And I think had I come in with different expectations, I might be feeling a little bit differently about it, but I almost feel like it's more of a character study of course people remember that story about a family whose daughter they believe is possessed and ends up going on a reality tv show and so much of the story is just that breakdown of the family it was really funny to start reading it after all these other conversations we've had about what you love about horror and now reading it i'm like oh my gosh no wonder this is up your alley this is everything you always say you look for in a book And I'm definitely enjoying it too. Like I said, had I thought it was going to be crazy scary, I might be waiting for that big jump scare. But I'm about five hours in now and it's about eight and a half hours. So unless something crazy changes, I'm definitely going to be giving this one a good review because I'm really enjoying it so far. Oh, God. I'm so glad. Every time someone picks it up, I'm like on the edge of my seat. (laughs) And the other book I just started reading and I'm already obsessed with is I'll Be Gone in the Dark. One Woman's Obsessive Search for the Golden State Killer. And this is by Michelle McNamara. And I think there's a lot of attention that's come around this book. So you might have heard about it. It's a true crime book. And it follows her investigation of a serial killer that was active for over a decade in, I believe, the California region. And so far, I'm just obsessed with the story. It's a kind of true crime that I really enjoy where the true crime writer is almost another character in the story. And so a lot of this book is dealing with Michelle's own obsession with finding who this is and a lot of armchair or amateur detective work. So she is online searching around trying to find clues. And I like that because I like the idea of someone being able to piece together the information even if you're not a cop. It comes from my love of mystery stories. And I just started this one today at work. And I'll admit, I had a crazy day at work. I was just super busy, so stressed. And I told my coworkers at lunch, I was just going to take an hour to read because I had to de-stress. And of course, knowing me, this terrible book about serial killers, a true story, is exactly what I needed to de-stress over lunch. And even though I'm still early in, I would definitely recommend it. I'm just in love with this story. I think what I like so much is the fact that I can just get lost in a story like this since it is nonfiction. I tend to think of those as drier stories, but this one is just so immersive. Again, it's gotten a lot of buzz and I think it's worth it. This book has a lot of promise. So hopefully the rest of it is just as good as the beginning because this was my, like I said, comfort read on a stressful day at work. So I cannot wait to get back to this after we finish recording. I've heard nothing but really good things about it. And I love that this is what you use to de-stress. You're like, I've had a really stressful day. You know what's really going to help me out? Just curling up with a book about serial killers. Just to really bring my levels down. <laughs> I don't know what that even says about me, but this is honestly like, I felt like my blood pressure just dropped when I was reading this. I think I have this backwards, but it works. So I'll just go with it. It's okay. I think we're both weirdos, so it's fine. 
So Books in the Freezer is a bi-weekly podcast. We post episodes every other Tuesday. You can find us on Twitter at Books Freezer Pod or on Instagram at Books in the Freezer, or you can write us an email at booksinthefreezer at gmail.com. Our show notes are at booksinthefreezer.wordpress.com. We are on Patreon. You can find us under Books in the Freezer. And we want to say a special thank you to our patrons, Laura, Liz, Davin, Sarai, Emily, Alicia, and Roger. I'm Stephanie. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at lady underscore Ganya or on YouTube at that's what she read. And I'm Rachel. You can find me on Twitter at shades underscore orange or on YouTube and Instagram at the shades of orange. And join us next time for books in the freezer.